Mogul Motivation, empowering and inspiring entrepreneurs and dream chasers worldwide, one week at a time. Presented by True Stories Media, and I'm your host, Antoine Twiz-Taylor. This story is powered by perseverance and fueled by faith. Manishka is currently an assistant city attorney for the city of Shreveport, Louisiana, but her journey to get there wasn't easy. Growing up in a household where the expectations were to go into the medical field, to changing her major, to facing a transformative journey on passing the bar exam. This is her story, in her words. Manushka, at what point did you make the decision and say, you know what, I want to be a lawyer? For me, uh, it wasn't a seamless transition into that decision because I grew up in a home with a doctor. My mom is a medical doctor. And so okay. if you know anything about island culture, it's very uh, legacy-based. And so it was really heavily inundated in my home like hey we want we would love for our kids to be doctors so really what I was surrounded by is the medical field and Mm. so I went into college intended to be a bio major so I actually started off as a biology major but I knew in my heart that I never wanted to be a doctor that's not just what I that's never been something I was drawn to in terms of for me I found it interesting yeah but it's not it wasn't for me and so it took after my first year of college where I had to have a conversation with my parents. I said, hey, I'm excelling all my other classes except for my biology class. I yeah. was feeling miserably. Um, and that's always been my story. Like a science classes just have never been my forte. And so when I switched over to English writing, I started realizing, one, writing's always been my first love. That's above everything else. That's what I love to do. And then I always used to love watching crime investigation shows and really following how the the, law, the, the legal portion of it once the investigation um, was over like law and order and stuff to, no actual crime like the real life okay where they Got would it. document actual crimes um that occurred and so i would love i loved following the legal portion where they would document the trial and things of that nature and so for me law became interesting in that way it's something that was distantly always interesting to me but when i started watching those It really became interesting. And then when I went to college and started taking African-American studies classes, it really came together for me Mm. in terms of how the legal system adversely affects minorities, particularly black people. And seeing how that field is very underrepresented um, when it comes to black people, especially black women, we make up somewhere between two to 5% of the legal field. And so that's when my love for law really started escalating at a high rate and so i when i realized that wow this is what i might want to do everything started coming together and i felt settled and i felt at peace with knowing that this is the route that i want to pursue yeah you took the words out of my mouth because that's literally what i was about to say i was going to say you were at peace once you made that decision because when you were describing your um medical classes or biology classes whatever you whatever um the field is it seemed like you was taking an elective, you know, like, you know, in college, you know, you got your major classes and then you got electives and everybody hates electives, right? You know, you got to take these classes just to get the credits and, you know, to graduate, but nobody right. really cares about electives. You know, you care about your major classes. That's what everybody excels in. So that's what it sounded like to me when you made that comment. It's like these medical classes was like electives, like classes that you, you just hear so you don't get fined. You know, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you really didn't want to be there and you had that conversation with your parents. How did that conversation go? It was 
a very intense, heavy conversation. I remember it vividly. I remember where I was laying on my bed in my dorm. It lasted for two hours because in okay. their minds, one, it was the fact that I said I was switching my major to English writing. And if you know anything about island parents, if you don't say you're going to be a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer, they think that you're throwing your life away. So mm. for them hearing English writing, they thought, what are you going to do with that? You're going to be an author? And so, you know, it, it wasn't something that they really realized that your career doesn't necessarily have to align directly with your major in terms of your, your major choice. So you can be a music major and go to medical school. You can be a philosophy major and go to law school. And so I was telling them that I, I chose English writing not because I plan on being a writer by trade, per se. It's just I wanted to choose something that I was going to enjoy. And like I said, writing is my first passion. If there is something I could do with not worry about money, writing would be it. And so I said I wanted to choose something that I can thoroughly enjoy and learn, but also that would benefit me once I went to law school. And if you know anything about law school, writing and writing and more writing. And so because it's something I was already good at, and thoroughly enjoyed and would benefit my career, I thought that's the perfect storm. I can pursue my career in writing by taking classes because I was a legal studies minor and still enjoy my writing college. And that was one of the best decisions that I, um, that I made. And so once I presented it to them that way, they slowly understood like, okay, I see what she's saying. Even they were still uneasy, but they yeah. trusted my journey. They trusted because they knew me, they know me. And, and so they, they know trusted, it's okay. your journey, not their journey. Right. So if they trusted. They were like, they were uneasy, but like, okay, well, this is what you want to do. I respect it. And I'm trusting that this is going to all actualize in a very substantial way once it all comes together. So you um you went to Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh. Yes, um, the, the University of Pittsburgh, yes. Sir. Right. Hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. <laughs> yes, sir, yes, sir. Um, so you're at Pittsburgh, you make the decision you want to be a lawyer. You switch majors, you know, um, all of that. What made you choose Southern University and HBCU? So you went from a PWI, predominantly white institution, mm-hmm. to an HBCU for law school instead of going to a PWI for law school. What 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 made you shift and, you know, say, you know what, I need to go to Southern University down in Louisiana? Well, when I realized and knew that I wanted to pursue career in law and towards my the end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, I started looking into what schools I wanted to go to. But the premise of all of it was I knew for a fact that I wanted to go to an HBCU for law school because I said, if I'm going to pursue a career as a black woman in law, I wanted to make sure that where I was being groomed, where I was being trained, catered to people like me. I would feel out of place where if I was in law school in a PWI and I'm in a class and I'm the only black or one of a few black people and certain precedents, legal precedents and history are being discussed. And I don't feel comfortable truly conveying my sentiments because I'm in a sea of white people and their their perception might be different from mine because they come from a different position. Right. And I would feel out of place. I would sometimes grow frustrated because even in undergrad, I had moments like that in classes where certain comments were being made and they would either forget there was a black person in the class. And sometimes you would see that they would say something and they would, their eyes would pan the room 
and then they would lay on their eyes would land on me. They're like, oh, yeah, they see you, like, yeah, <laughs> right. And then you see right. them trying to tailor their comics. So I was like, I don't want an experience in law, specifically in law school, knowing that I'm precisely going because I want to make a change in the legal system for people to look at me. So I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to go somewhere where everybody, most of everybody, looked like me. The experience was close to home. And when I had professors discussing certain cases or certain legal precedents with me, they would know where I'm coming from. And they could guide me in a direction that would speak to my experience as a black black person, one, and then a black woman. Yeah. So your experience as a black person and as a black woman pursuing law, you know, so now you're at Southern University. Um, what was it like, not just at HBCU, but more so in law school, studying the law at an institution for black Americans? It was great. I regret not one day of my law school experience. What mm-hmm. I will say about Southern University in particular, because I want to make sure I shout out my Southern University Law Center, is that I felt a very personal experience from the professors onto my classmates. Uh, when we talked about um, certain cases, for example, Brown the Board of Education, where we talked about the um, Civil Rights Act or the cases that broke um, certain barriers, they knew what I was talking about. And we discussed it in a very candid, transparent way. There was no sidestepping. There was no um, masking. There was no political correctness because it was a free space to discuss what we wanted to talk about. And so the experience was great. I loved the camaraderie because one also one of the reasons I chose Southern in particular is because it's a smaller school and the family environment really made the stressful experience of law school much more bearable because we ha- I had other people close by people knew my name my professors knew my name my classmates there was a total of 105 of us in my class so okay. even though you didn't talk you weren't friends with everybody but we knew everybody so everybody knows everybody and so we looked out for one another um, very much so, and not in just a, a, um, a cordial way, but a very personal way we looked out for one another. There was no, no moment or no instance where somebody was going through something minor or major where somebody wasn't there for them in, a, in an extensive way. And so that, yeah. for me, validated my decision to go into HBC. And, and it sounds beautiful, you know, um, because... I didn't go to an HBCU. I went to a PWI and I didn't go to grad school or anything like that. Um, but we all know at HBCUs, that's like one of the few places in this country where we're not the minority. Right. right. Um, I just interviewed Dr. Misty Harrison last week and she said she was just one of, I think, 11 black students at her medical school. You know, so. I can just only imagine what it does for the psyche and the confidence when majority of the people in your class look like you. They understand the struggles you went through. They understand the struggles you're learning. Well, not the struggles you're learning, but they understand the things you're learning to overcome the struggles that people are going through on the outside world, outside of this law school. You know what I mean? So, like, would you say, like, and again, this isn't, um, you know, throwing shade at black students at PWIs, but would you say at HBCU boost the confidence of a black student? For me, I would say yes, because I have both sides. I don't have the side, the graduate school experience side, 
for PWIs, but I have the undergraduate side experience from PWI and the HBCU side for graduate school. And for me, not to take away from my experience at Pitt, because my experience at Pitt actually contributed to how my blackness in a way, Um, Mm -hmm. but my experience at Southern gave me a certain confidence in knowing that I can be a majority for for a three-year period and still succeed outside because one of the tropes that you hear about people not wanting to go to to HBCUs is that it's not representative of the real world right yeah and I I truthfully be told to be transparent I when I was a kid I had that same perception I don't want to go to HBCUs because right that's not the real world you want diversity this that and the third however I had the rest of my life to be a minority Give me these mm. few years where I can be part of the majority. I don't have mm. to anticipate it and predispose myself to that experience when I'm going to have that in the world once I leave my HBCU experience. So for me, going to Southern specifically, and I don't know how familiar you are with this, you know, there is a culture out there about um, looking down on HBCU law schools as opposed I believe to their, their PW counterparts, especially in, I in, in Louisiana, where you'll have people from LSU or people from Tulane, uh, Loyola, who will naturally feel that they have a step up on Southern students. And what I will say, I'm proud of, we have the most judges in the state of Louisiana. Mm. Um, and there is no one that presents themselves better in the courtroom, the Southern University Law Center, that is nobody's. And mm. so there was nothing in my experience that made me feel that I was less prepared for my work in the legal field by going to Southern. I felt more prepared because my professors made sure that uh, they in, in, imposed on us or implemented in us what we needed, the skills that we needed for the real world. And one of my professors where I want to make sure I shout her out to Professor Regina Ramsey. She was my legal writing professor. And that's something that I took away from HBCUs as well is that that time she took to make sure that our writing skills were top notch. And particularly with me, actually, that was actually my favorite class in law school, obviously because I love to write as well. It's just a time that she made, she made sure that there was no slack. She wasn't um, cutting us any slack. She wasn't Try, she was making sure that she got the best out of every single one of us every single time we took out we, we had an assi- assignment or something that we needed to do and so for me leaving HBCU I knew that whenever I wrote a memo wrote a draft for a a brief whatever the case may be I know that whatever I present is going to be top-notch because due to large part of my experience in her class and so there's nothing to take away from being a student, a law student in particular, going to an HBCU. I think I, my confidence, to answer your original question, is blooms as a result of feeling mm. in place at the school that I was and not feeling like I was fighting. Because going to PWI, you feel like you're fighting and you're constantly on the defense yeah. because you feel yeah. like, okay, y'all not about to show me out. Y'all not about to make me feel like I don't know what I'm do- talking about. So there's a part of your experience, I guess, taken away because you're constantly on a defense, constantly feeling like you have to prove yourself. And in, in, in the yeah. HBCU, I felt in place. Everybody, we're all in the same playing field and we're all rooting for each other. Yeah, it's like at the PWI, you were in competition, whereas at the HBCU, you were in community. Um, yes, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like. So earlier you said it was, it was a lot of writing 
in law school. And before we move on to the next phase in your life, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Like, how do you law students, regardless of what institution you're at, how do you guys do it? Like, I feel like you got so much information you got to soak in, so much information you got to spit out. Like, how do you survive the gauntlet of law school? Man, listen. God, <laughs> God and more God. And I, I say that in all seriousness because law school was the first time in my life where I questioned my intelligence. I questioned my ability to do well. And it had nothing to do with, like I said, my experience at Southern. It was law school. Law school will make you question everything about who you are, about your wow. identity, because it's so, it's such a different experience from undergrad. It's so far removed from undergrad, from the, the workload to what's expected of you, to how to balance your time. Because I remember the very first day of law school, the very first Monday, we went in there, one class, we had to read 121 pages for Wednesday. Another class, I had to read 50 pages for Wednesday. Another what? class, I had to read 25 pages. Then I had a writing assignment due the very first day. And so I went into the library and I was just like, this is my life for the next three years. And oh, so, no. right, it's, it's a lot thrown at you. It's a, it takes a lot of adjusting. It takes a lot of really self-assessing what always worked for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually the best part. One of the best parts of law school, it really forces you to take a look at all the things that you assumed worked or the things that you assumed were functional. Because in undergrad, truth be told, people who go from undergrad to law school were, were the cream of the crop. So when you go to law school, you're side by side with a whole bunch, bunch of cream of the crops. And so mm. you, the things that you were able to do undergrad that you could skate through because you were just going off your intelligence doesn't work in law school anymore. You have, it's not just being smart. Everybody in law school is smart. So being smart alone is not going to get you through. It's about your diligence. It's more about your diligence and more about your discipline than it is about your smarts in law school. Wow. It's about how well you apply your time, how well you apply your um, energy, what you feed your body, make sure you're not eating stuff that's going to make you tired easily, where you have less time to study. Everything is so meticulous. So meticulous. Yeah. You know, um, I, and it sounds like it because, you know, I just can't I can't imagine going through law school. First of all, like I said earlier, I only went through undergrad and I can say with full transparency, undergrad was only a struggle to me simply because I procrastinated. You know, I tell people all the time and this isn't a joke. If I wanted a 4.0 every semester, I could have got it. But I was lazy. If I was lazy like that at undergrad. I wouldn't have lasted two weeks in law school, I assume. Probably a week, you know, based off those horror stories. Yeah, and the crazy thing about it is within, after the first semester, I think we lost about, I can't remember the exact number, so I don't want to say a number that's inaccurate, but we lost a few people that they were like, this is not for me. Mm. And I remember the class that came after us, there was about, a good 20 people who left after the first month or eventually after the first semester. And it's a real thing. People were just like, this is not for me. I cannot do this. And so people really don't understand, don't understand the the toll that law school takes on you. There were several times where I legitimately contemplated booking a ticket back to Florida. I was like, Mm. I don't know this is for me. And the only thing, that's why I always tell people don't law school is not something you do because you can't find something else. If the only thing that carries you through besides my faith is knowing that this is 
truly where I belong. Like this is my calling in life. That carries you. That keeps you pushing the moments where nothing else will. You go through the gauntlet of law school only to encounter the mountain known as the bar exam. Um, You know, so tell us about your experience with the bar exam, because I I feel like you have a very um, inspirational story to tell about it. Just walk us through the bar exam and this mountain that you had to conquer. Man, every time I think about that journey, I get emotional and I just get overwhelmed and humbled by that process. Uh, So I graduated law school May 2019. So the bar was scheduled for July 2019. So literally the May 18th was my graduation date. And then May 18th, Saturday, Sunday, the rest of my, most of my family went home. And then Monday was right to study. And so you, we don't really get, we didn't really get that time to fully take in the fact that we were done with law school. It was graduate, great. Take that day, enjoy it, and then get to studying. So yeah. studying for the bar exam is law school on steroids. You're essentially condensing all the craziness and all the intensity of law school into two months of studying for the bar. So you literally have no life. You're from dawn to dusk, you are studying. You have to have a schedule. This is how I'm going to divvy out the different subjects so I can study. And you are in those books for two months. And so I was doing that. But through my weeks of studying, I never felt fully confident. There was never a moment where I felt like I was going to pass. And truthfully, I feel like that played a role in me not passing that first time. Because there's a big part of this that's very mental. And if you don't believe you're going to pass, you're probably not not going to pass. Because... The from law school to bar exam, it's mental. A lot of it is mental. And so when I was studying, I never felt confident in my head, in my heart of hearts. I knew I was going to fail. I said, I'm, I'm not going to pass this exam. And I carried that with me into the into the exam room. So I remember wow. it's a, our, our Louisiana exam is one of the hardest bar exams in the, in the country. It's three days, eight hours, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, eight hours. And I remember Wednesday, the second day, the last exam, which was from two to five, I walked out after at 2.45 because I literally did not know the rest of the answers. I It could have been Dutch, German, would have made a difference because it was essentially the same thing. I had no idea what the answer was. I couldn't figure out. And so I quit. I answered the mm. little bit that I could. And then at 2.45, I walked out. And I, in my head, I said, I'm not packing this bar exam. I don't know the answer to this. I came back Friday. I did well on Friday because Friday, the subjects on Friday that are tested on Friday are my strongest. And But I knew. When walking out of there, I did not feel confident that I passed. And so we got our results back in October, and lo and behold, I did not pass. I missed it by 92 points, I want to say. I can't remember exactly, but it was somewhere around that. And it hit me hard. Um, if you did not go through the experience of taking these bar exam and failing, there's no matter of explanation I can give you to reproduce the feelings that that conjures in you. Yeah, and it's kind of like it's kind of like not to cut you off, but you know we we as a society talk about manifestation a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like you manifested this. It's it's like you you know you said I'm not gonna pass, I'm not gonna pass, and boom, you didn't pass. Yeah, and that's that's a, that's a big part of it. Like you said, truly carrying with you what you believe. And so even if your intelligence and your intellect tells you you can do it, if your spirit and your heart is not in alignment with the level of your intelligence, 
you will you can still fail. And that's what happened with me. Uh, because of my lack of confidence, there were moments on the exam where ordinarily I would know the answer, but I couldn't. I, I was drawing a blank. Or I couldn't articulate the, the response in the way that I want to because I was constantly second-guessing myself. And it was having, it was like I was having a conversation with myself inside a testing room about how well I wasn't doing. And so when I got those results, I was like, I wasn't, I was heartbroken, but I wasn't surprised because that, like I said, in my heart of hearts, I had already told myself I wasn't going to pass. And so it took me a while to recover, and I was just going through the motions of what am I going to do, and prayed and and did a lot of self-reflecting. Uh, and so I came back and took it the fe- February 2020. This time, that time, that second time, February 2020, it was a couple of weeks before we all shut down. So I took it, felt much better. I had studied more, felt more prepared, knew what was coming this time, seeing that I had already taken it once and went in there, felt good. I walked out of there and, I, and you can ask my mom, she will tell you, I felt good. I felt mm-hmm. like I had done well enough to pass. And then we got our results back in April 24th, 2020, and I missed it by 16 points. 16 points. So you went from 92 points to 16. When I tell you that was the first time in my life where I was legitimately caught off guard because I thought I had passed. I was not expecting those results. And that is an extra layer of heartbreak. When you're expecting one thing and something else happens, now you're dealing with anger. Because for me now, I was telling God, I told, like, I thought we're, we had this conversation. I, I felt confident this time around. I knew what had passed. I, I, I had eliminated the negative self-talk. So why would this still happen? Yeah. And so even to this day, the number 16 still triggers me. Like, mm. whether I see it on a billboard, whether yeah. I see it on somebody's on a clock. number, on yeah. a clock, it still makes me pause. And, and, and um, how many, so you failed the first time, you failed the second time. Meanwhile, your classmates are passing. Right. Right. I still had classes who haven't passed yet, but the majority of them at this point have passed. Yeah, and... so that's like another layer of, you know, just it's piling on to that self-doubt and insecurity. Right. Especially because the first time in 2019, the people who passed got their results in October. We got our results in October. And then a week later, they had their swearing in ceremony. And as happy as I was for my classmates, that day I could not be on social media because I could not bear the weight of seeing that and not being a part of it because I had envisioned myself being a part of it. And so I was happy for my classmates, but at the same time, I couldn't do it. I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch. I couldn't be on social media. None of that. And so when I didn't pass the second time, now it's the, it goes from, well, we all mess up one time. When something happens more than once, now you start questioning your identity. Now you start yeah. saying, is this is this why I am? Am I a failure? And that's what am I, I supposed to be here? Myself. Right. I started questioning whether I was going against God's plan for me. If I was just forcing this, if I truly am as smart as I thought I was, am I a failure? Is this who I am? That one was infinitely harder than the first time. I'm not going to lie. The first time, like I said, I kind of expected it and, it, and and I wasn't as close. But missing it by 16 points and expecting that I was going to pass, made that one infinitely more heart-wrenching for me than the first time. Mm. And, and then I, the, 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 the dilemma now was, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to take it again? Because this is now two. And mind you, the bar exam is not cheap. 
Yeah, I was just about to say that. This isn't free. This isn't, you know, free. just, you know, the state of Louisiana saying, oh, here, come take a test. Exactly. The first time was $875, I believe. The second time, 750 somewhere around that. 750 somewhere around that, that ballpark. So this is not something I, I just wake up and click something online and pay for it. Uh, but so I said, okay, well, am I going to take this again? Am I going to take a break? Like, I had to figure out what I'm doing. And I was on the verge of actually taking a break. I was going to just wait till February of this year, so this month, to take it just to give me a year to just decompress mentally and to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out how am I, what am I going to do? And then right when I was about to make that decision is when the pandemic, the, the, the revamping of the bar exam occurred because of the pandemic. And they ended up reformatting the exam. And by the grace of God, I passed it the third time, which was mm. the October of 2020. Third time's and a charm. Third time's a charm. A year. A year. It took a year and six, a year and five months from my graduation to finally be able to call myself Esquire. And how did you feel? How did you feel when you got the results uh, that you had finally conquered this mountain that had been in your way? on your journey for so long. What did you feel? I felt overwhelmed with emotion, not in the sense of the way that you see, you know, actually celebrating when they win a championship. I felt that in the moment when I saw my results, I was hyped, I was excited, but I felt perspective. It was one of those things where I understood why this is where I was in this moment. Not that I would want to fail twice again, because I would not encourage anybody to go into this experience trying to fail. Please absolutely try to fail not. The first time. But my experience was went beyond just an academic endeavor. It was a spiritual journey. It was a mental journey. It was a, it was a emotional journey. And it came full circle. It meant more because of what I went through. And it 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 provided a perspective that taught me that you can be intelligent, you can be gifted, you can be ahead of the game, but mentally, if you are not where you should be, life is not going to happen the way you want to. Mm. If mentally you are not where you should be, whether that be mentally in terms of how you prepare yourself, your diligence, yeah. uh, whether that be if you have trauma that you need to deal with or issues that you did, whatever it is, it encompasses all of that. You need to, no matter how smart you are, no matter what your plans are for life, you need to make sure that your mental and emotional journey are tracking with your career and academic journey. You don't want that to be falling behind in pursuit of things because at some point it's going to catch up with you. And that's what that taught me. Uh, because truth be told, like I said, undergrad, I skated a lot off my intelligence. And I my, think we all discipline, did. Yeah. my discipline was not where it should have been. Yeah, um, like I said, I was lazy in undergrad. And the only reason why I graduated and, you know, I never failed a class was simply because of my intelligence. I was, I was relying on my natural intelligence, but that's no excuse for my lack of discipline. Right, exactly. And so that humbled me. And I always make that joke with people that I know who have children who say, man, man, my kids, man, I don't know what to do. I need to figure out what to do. I say, send them to law school. Nothing will humble you like law school. Law school will teach you what it means to be humbled. And so... I that moment, like I said, it, it, it just gave me perspective. It provided relief 
um, both for me and my village, for my family, because one thing about this journey, too, is that you're not going on this alone. You're feeling it, yes, because it is your decision in your life. But the people who love you are feeling the weight of this as well. Even you talking to yeah. you about it. Like, you don't want to hear, oh, my friend filled the bar exam again. Every time the day the results come, you want to, you're hoping the person says, yes, I passed. Because now you're thinking yeah. about, man, how am I going to be there for this person after they tell me again that they failed? So it's not just you. It's the people around you. And so this moment for me was like when an athlete gets drafted. I understood that moment. Like, when they go up mm. there and they shake yeah. Roger Goodell's hand or Adam, Adam Silver's hand. And you see for them, it's like they said, man, it's, it's my family. Because you think about, man, these people have been with me since the since day one. Friends, family, and they get to share in this as well. This is not just my accomplishment. This is their accomplishment as well. They get to be elated. They get to <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief and not have to think yeah. about what am I going to tell her now and encourage her? How am I going to be there for her in this journey? They get to be elated with me. And that's what, that's what meant most to me. So you passed the bar exam on the third time. Third time's a charm. What's your current um, job at the moment right now? I am an assistant city attorney uh, with the city of Shreveport, Louisiana. And what's your duties in that role? So our uh, department essentially is the legal counsel for the city. So every department of the city uh, we represent and we provide legal counsel for and we also uh, deal with misdemeanors so civil suits um okay the the prosecutors obviously they deal with the uh criminal stuff but we deal with the civil stuff so whenever for example just to make it plain department of public Works. so the people who pick up your trash if there's an issue there and there's some there's legal advice that's needed we provide that if there is an ordinance or a new law that somebody wants to introduce and wants to implement into our code we ask we we provide counsel and advice um, on that to see if, if it's allowed, if it can go through, if it's something that they should do. Uh, we don't make anybody do anything because we, we're there just, just to provide counsel. Yeah. So that's what we do. We are essentially the legal counsel team for the city. And how many black people are in that um, office or department? That is one actually one of my uh, biggest testimonies is everybody in my office is black and everybody, mm. with the exception of my boss, is a black woman. And they all, okay. we all, we're all Southern University Law Center. Look at that. So, so you know, this is that community that we talked right. about earlier in the interview. It's like, even though it's, you know, Southerners in Louisiana, you're in Shreveport, Louisiana. What's the odds that you're still surrounded by this camaraderie, you know what I mean, from um, a school that helped mold you, helped prepare you? to conquer the bar exam, but not just the bar exam, but to conquer things in the real world, because that's your duty as a woman of law to conquer issues in the real world. Like, do you feel like that's kind of like destiny in a sense? Like, you know, your journey was to go through Southern and to go through the hell of failing the bar exam once, twice, and then just end up surrounded by more comrades at the end of the tunnel. Oh, absolutely. I firmly believe in divine enablement enablement and divine direction. And for me, aside from that, what which circles back to our conversation about going to HBCU for law school is that looking out for each other, which is why I always staunchly defend against that myth that Black people don't support each other. 
Because one thing about Southern alums, when you apply for jobs or, or you're going to some kind of network event, when they see Southern University Law Center on your resume, they will look out for you because they say, I went to Southern, I'm looking out for another Southern alum. They pay it forward. That legacy, that Southern legacy is very heavy in Louisiana. And so knowing that everybody in my offices are Southern University Law Center alums is not by accident. It's not coincidental. We look out for each other. And so that is something that I can't guarantee that I would have found going to a PWI because there's a million of them. There's a million of them and they were, it's a much bigger body. And so somebody seeing my name and seeing what school I went to doesn't necessarily draw attention to me. But me going to Southern and, and me going to a smaller HBCU and, and having that family environment, a family orientation was big in my being hired. And so yeah. I vouch for HBCUs for that reason. I vouch for black people for that reason. And I, and I, and I speak against the myth that we do not support each other. We absolutely support each other because I wouldn't have gotten that job if it wasn't for another black person. I saw a young black woman who went to the same school he went to 30 years ago and decided to give me a look. Out of your entire path, um, you know, when you went to Pitt, you wanted to change your major, um, you get to Southern, you know, is, you know, rigoring, uh, you go through the bar exam, like we just talked about, and even your current position now, what would you say was your central motivation through all of that, that kept you going and said, I need to do this. I need to get it done. If I could boil my central motivation in one word, it would be faith, both in the, in the sense of my faith providing a fuel for me to keep going when I felt like this wasn't, this might not be for me, or I felt depleted emotionally and spiritually, but also in the matter of my faith drives my purpose. And so mm-hmm. for me, the, 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 the notion of social justice, the, the notion of seeing more minorities being represented in a legal field all go back to my faith, because I firmly believe that I serve a God who vouches for the underrepresented, underrepresented, who vouches for the oppressed, who vouches for the marginalized. So that is what keeps me going, knowing that I'm doing this for a bigger cause than myself. For me, this is kingdom work. This is not just a career. And so I know that no matter where I, I go, no matter what my lot in life is, I can always keep going because I know I'm doing this for the right reason. And I know whom for whom I'm doing this. If this podcast has benefited you in any way, shape, or form, I ask for two things as always. Number one, please leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may benefit from it as well. A new episode of Mogul Motivation will be out this Wednesday.